How many of you are excited about Christmas? I know that I am, and I love the Christmas season. And in all sincerity, it often provides me the opportunity to sit with people around our community, friends of mine, people that I'm being introduced to, that are people who are kind of checking out who Jesus is. And there's something wonderful about Christmas and Easter, those two high church seasons that really afford me the opportunity, and really all of us, the opportunity to sit down with people and talk to them about who Jesus is. Now, one of the things that has struck me this year is the idea of what child is this. Each Sunday morning during our move and greet time, you're going to hear Roberta Flack sing, What Child Is This? I remember, and I don't know if you heard it in the background, but the first time I ever heard her sing that song, I got goosebumps. How many of you ever heard her sing? That woman can sing. And when I heard her sing, What Child Is This? I remember I was a teenager when I heard her sing that, and it had a deep impression. And so through that, I thought, wouldn't it be kind of neat to take the next several weeks as we move through Advent to answer the question, what child is this? Now, before we move in that direction, and this morning we're going to take a look at Mary's story, sort of Mary's perspective and the interaction that God has through an angel with Mary. But one of the things that is brought to us in the midst of the introduction of Jesus to us in Scripture is that he will be called the Prince of Peace. That through Christ, peace will be brought into this world. But as I've thought about that and talked to some of the people that serve in leadership here in and through city, it has become apparent to me that a lot of people in our community live without peace. They simply don't. And one of the reasons for that are some of the recent events that have happened in Charlottesville, some of them that were incredibly racially charged and Racially, racially divisive, and I know that some people are in turmoil over the political climate. I'm well aware of this. But in the midst of thinking about that and praying about that, I got an email from Tina Webb, and I'm going to ask Tina to come out to join me now. Tina is the head of our prayer ministry here at City, and as she sent me this email, I thought, my goodness, this is absolutely perfect. And so Tina sent me, come on close, that way you're in the screen. And I don't bite, all right? But uh, Tina, who heads up our prayer ministry here at City, sent me this amazing email based upon the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom is a Jewish greeting that is given by Jews even to this day. And in essence, what shalom means is peace. Her email kind of broke down the word shalom into an acronym that would allow us to pray through that whole idea of God's peace. And so I asked Tina if at the outset of this message she could come out and just share briefly what the Lord has laid on her heart. Everyone say good morning, Tina. Good morning, City Church. So I came to Charlottesville in 1987 as a UVA student, uh, met my husband, got married, started a family. So I've been in Charlottesville for 30 years, and indeed Charlottesville is home. But 2017 for me and my family, as well for all of you, was a little difficult. None of us would have guessed the events that would have led up to August 12th, but even occurred on August 12th. And we certainly don't want to see our 2018 to be anything like Amen. 2017. Amen. So the Lord laid on my heart for us as a church family to have a week of prayer. And as Pete said, the word shalom came to my heart. You know, we're entering the Advent season, and we talk about why Jesus came and what he came to do. He came for many reasons. One of them was to bring peace. And the word shalom means peace, but it means so much more than peace. As Pete said, it means peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, benevolence. And that's what we need in our community. So the first part of this week, which is called Shalom 2017, is for us as God's people to pray for ourselves, to pray for our own hearts, to be recovered, to be whole where we were broken down by the events of the year, and to 
pray for our neighbors, to pray for our community, to intercede, and to really say, God, we need you. We yeah. need your perspective on events. We need the mind of Christ. We want to see ourselves be reflectors of you, Jesus, in this season and afterwards in our 2018. This is our home. We love it. And so let's pray together. I encourage you, you all were given handouts, and it will also be mailed to you at the end of the day. Thanks. Good deal. Thank you, yeah. Tina. Appreciate that. Tina has put together this Shalom 20, 2017 prayer. You were handed this as you came through the door. And I'm strongly encouraging you um, to please take, make this kind of a daily prayer agenda for you. As again, how many of you are praying that 2018 is a lot different than 2017 was in our community? And I know and I've experienced in my own life how God answers prayer when people gather together. Look inward, look upward first, then inward, and then outward. And that's really what the Shalom prayer will bring us through throughout this week. Well, this morning's message is going to be brought to us to answer the question, what child is this? This message is going to be taken from the perspective of Mary in the angelic visitation. And so I would like to ask you if you would grab your Bible or take out your smartphone and turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. If you're utilizing the Bibles we provide, you'll find that on page 830. Now, I want to encourage you to do something if you have a smartphone and you haven't done it yet. That is, please download the YouVersion Bible app. Y-O-U version. The YouVersion Bible app. There are over a hundred translations of the Bible there in many different languages. On top of that, there are Advent devotionals, one of which you can choose, and each day you can walk from this Sunday, this Sunday is the beginning of Advent, you can walk straight towards Christmas through one of those devotions. You'll find that that Bible app will upload that for you. Each day you'll have a reading, some biblical reading and some practical thought. I do that each year and I'm encouraging each one of us to do that as well. But in order to kick off this sermon series for Christmas, we're going to begin with the birth of Jesus foretold by the angel to Mary. Now I'm going to read the entire story. Read along with me. And then we're going to pause for a few moments and we're going to talk about it from a very practical and I would say theological perspective. Here's what the Bible tells us. Luke chapter 1, begin reading in verse number 26, the birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Who's Elizabeth? Really what you need to know is Elizabeth is Mary's first cousin and she is the mother of John the Baptist. She had been unable to conceive. There was an angelic visitation to Zechariah, her husband. Elizabeth was able to conceive and as the scripture tells us, she is now in her sixth month. Now amazing enough, amazingly enough, there is no Twitter and there is no texting during biblical times. Amen. Amen. So Mary has no clue that her cousin Elizabeth is with child. She knew she was barren. She knew she was unable to conceive. And the angel Gabriel will come to Mary and make an announcement. And we're going to read that in just a moment. So God, by his grace, has touched Elizabeth. She is now six months pregnant. And God dispatches the angel Gabriel, to go visit Mary. Reading on, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. It's the second time the angel has made mention to Mary's favor with God. Verse 31. 
you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Truth be told, we ought to be shouting amen right now. You are proof that his kingdom will never end. Reading on. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Yes, people during the time of Jesus understood where babies come from. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. What an amazing amazing story. This story is a story that I believe was shared personally by Mary to Luke, the writer of this gospel. In Luke chapter 1, the writer of this gospel tells you right out of the gate that he has taken it upon himself to write a detailed, accurate account by first-hand witnesses of all that he is about ready to write. So I want you to picture Luke meets with Mary at Starbucks. And they sit down together. And they say, Mary, and he says to Mary, Mary, tell me the story. Interestingly enough, a similar event just happened that involved me uh, about two weeks ago over Thanksgiving. We could put up the next picture. This is a picture of my family minus my son visiting my dad for Thanksgiving. My father is in a retirement home where he can get some care and receive some help. He has Parkinson's and some other things that he is battling. And so when we went to visit, we went to the home to visit him. And while we were there in his room, my children started asking him questions. One of the questions was, how did you meet my dad's mom, in other words, my mother. And I watched my dad, and it was amazing to watch him. He looked at my mom, and he got the cheesiest grin. And he looked at her and was literally beaming. And he began to recount to my children how he met my mother. They met at a company picnic up in British Columbia, Canada, on Salt Spring Island, there was a company picnic, and they played badminton against each other. And my dad looked at my mom, he was absolutely beaming, and he recounted the story from his fading memory of what it was like to meet my mother. And then one of my kids said, well, how did you make your moves, Grampy? Sounded creepy to hear, but it was a good question. And here's what my dad said. He said, well, your dad's mom worked in the accounting department in the payroll department of the company. And my dad found many reasons why to go and pick up his paycheck at the office as often as possible. Funny enough, no one said a word when my dad spoke. Everyone was vapor-locked. My dad was beaming as he brought that event out of his fading memory, and he laid it out there to answer the question to my daughters. It was a powerful moment. That's what Mary did for Luke. Mary sat at Starbucks. Maybe she was in a retirement home in Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. Who knows? 
But there Dr. Luke went and he sat with her and he interviewed her. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes down the story that was recounted. Now, I know some of you sitting here going, well, I wouldn't trust that type of translation. It's because you don't understand ancient literature or ancient history. This may surprise you, but you can go to Bedouin families today that are in Israel, and you can sit down with them, and you can ask them this question, how did your people, how did you as a family arrive here? And they, from memory, will tell you stories, some of which are 3,000 years old. And they don't say anything other than we. They will say, we were living up there, and they will name a place that you will have heard of. And then they will begin to recount an event that is 3,000 years old. And they will say it as though it is their own personal history. And that oral tradition is passed down because for thousands of years, these people groups have sat around campfires and as families... And someone would be asked almost weekly to recount the stories of how they became a people. And if you get the story wrong, you will be publicly rebuked. And the village elders will sit there and listen to how the stories are told. And the stories are told exactly as they have been told for thousands of years. They are exact. To the point where... I remember hearing of an event where a scholar on George Washington was talking to a New Testament scholar about the story of Mary. And the scholar on George Washington looked at the scholar who was writing about Mary and said this, I wish I had the rules and the certainty of the story that you have about Mary. I wish I had that with George Washington. In other words, an academic historian looked at the letters he had and the passed down stories about George Washington and said, I wish to the biblical scholar I had the amount of trust and weightiness to how that story of Mary was passed down that I have about George Washington. You can trust the story. And so picture this. You've got Mary with her toes in the Sea of Galilee She's in her retirement years, and Luke interviews her, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes down this story. The story is powerful. It's profound. You've got Mary, who is a virgin. She is most likely 14 or 15 years old. She is engaged to be married to someone by the name of Joseph that's uploaded to us in the book of Matthew. And in the midst of this engagement, the angel Gabriel comes to her to tell her that God has a message that is personally for her. Now, anytime you read a Newer Testament story, the author is trusting that you're going to sit yourself emotionally inside the story. Can you imagine Mary? Her heart is all aflutter with an engagement. Do we have any engaged people here in this room? Raise your hand. I know we have one. There's a couple. Are you guys happy? Thumbs up. She didn't even look at you. She just looked straight ahead. Never even looked. Thumbs up from him. But can you imagine in the midst of this engagement, all of a sudden, the angel Gabriel appears. Now Gabriel is an Older Testament angel. He appears in the book of Daniel. And the rabbis teach he also appears in the book of Ezekiel. And when he appears in Ezekiel, he is a warring angel. And now you've got Mary. She's engaged to be married to Joseph. And the angel Gabriel literally walks off the pages of the Older Testament and stands in front of her and begins to communicate to her a message from God. I would say it's one of the understatements 
of the entire Newer Testament. Here's what it says. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. That's an understatement. If you read it in Greek, it's not. She was shaken to her core and her mind was spinning. The angel appears to her and brings this following message. And the message is absolutely profound. He says to Mary, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. The next thing that the angel says is probably in response to her being greatly troubled, the angel makes the phrase that is the most commonly repeated command in all of the Bible. It's this, don't be afraid. Do you know that's the most common command in all of the Bible? Do not be afraid. And the angel says to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God, repeating it again. Now let's talk about Mary's favor. It's important. Here's why. The word favor is the word grace. That's all it is. In Greek, it's the word charis. And it means you are receiving something you do not deserve and have not earned. That's what grace is. So in other words, if God's grace, and when we sing that amazing hymn, Amazing Grace, it is a constant testimony that we are receiving something from God that we do not deserve. I want you to understand this carefully. Mary does not deserve the grace that she's getting. That word favor literally means that. What has happened is God has chosen her. She has fit the qualifications for the Older Testament prophecies, and one of them is, is that a virgin would be with child. So God chooses Mary. And the angel comes to her and makes this announcement that, Mary, you're going to be with child. Now, in this, I want you to notice the description and who this child will become. Verse 30. Put up the slide and we'll read it. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. You are to call him Jesus. It was funny. I asked my parents once why they named me Peter. They said, we have no idea. <laughs> the name Jesus actually means something. Reading on, it says, you are to call him Jesus, and he will be great. and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Let me explain something carefully. Every mother wonders about their child. What will their child become? What will their child accomplish? Even a lady who is yet to have a child or is yet to be married and is thinking about that wonderful experience, that wonderful expression, would think to themselves, what will this child become? You know what's even more amazing as a parent? And my children are older. I'm the, an empty nester, all except for one. You look at your children. You think to yourself, how in the world did they turn out normal? And I'm not looking at Fran for that. I'm looking in the mirror. Going, how in the world did these kids turn out normal? How did they turn out well? How did they turn out with a vision and a passion for life? How did they turn out to accomplish all that they've accomplished? And listen, here's Mary. She'll never have to wonder. The angel tells her, your kid is a king. And he will sit on the most powerful throne that Israel has ever seen. He will sit on David's throne. And God is going to give him that throne. 
And when he sits on that throne, he will become more famous than David because his reign will never, ever end. It will last forever. Mary asks a great question. Her question is, how? Because there's a sense in the original language that her conception is going to be immediate. And in that, she looks at the angel Gabriel and she asks the question, how will this happen? And her response is, how will this happen? Because I am a virgin, I have never been with a man. And the angel responds to her in a powerful way. Please put up the next slide. Here's the response. The Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High. That's how this is going to happen. The Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High. And when those two realities, Mary, begin to move over your body, what you will discover is that you will conceive, and once you have conceived, your son will be known as the Son of God. God is going to conceive a son through you, Mary. You will be the agent of conception for the actual Son of God. Now listen, when you think about the beginning of the story of Jesus, here it is. This is the beginning of the story. The story starts out miraculously. The Christian faith is based on miraculous stuff. And the story of Jesus and his moving into the world and why we celebrate Advent and why we celebrate Christmas is because God's Trinity makes a divine sovereign move. God the Father sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moves with the power of God and descends upon Mary and she conceives. And now God has a literal son. A literal son. And as we look at this story, I believe God calls us to believe and to understand some things, not only about this child, but about what it looks like to follow Jesus. First of all, I know that at times when people look at a story like this, they think to themselves, how can this even be possible? That's why the story's told. By the way, there are times where I would like to give editorial comments to God. God, I hear you have a plan. Can I have a little input? You realize that the story of the birth of your son will come across as rather unbelievable to many. Have you ever thought about that? Would you ever, God, like to rethink that and do this whole thing in a different way? No. God in His wisdom, in His wisdom, brings about the birth of his son this way. And yes, it is unbelievable, in quotes. But I want to tell you this, that so is the Christian faith in a lot of ways. It takes faith. It takes believing in a God who does amazing things. And that brings me to my next thought. I want you to notice how personal and individual, and how intimate this story is. That's not unique to God's interaction with Mary. That's true with everyone through Jesus. We're not lumped in as a whole. It's an individual story. And the individual story involves God's intent in love, the moving of the Holy Spirit, and the birth of His Son into this world. Also know this, God chooses to work through people. When I think about the story of Mary, it's a story that grips my heart because it's a story that tells you and tells me that God wants to work through people. That would be one of the things I would encourage God to edit. 
If you want to have your son in the world, that's great, but figure it. No, God says, my story is going to be the following way. I'm going to choose a lady who has never known a man. And the Holy Spirit and the power of God will be involved and she's going to conceive. And when she does, my son will be born into this world. God uses people. And he still does today. Yes, the birth of Jesus is miraculous. Yes, the birth of Jesus takes incredible faith. But one of the things that I've learned is that God, by his grace and his favor, still chooses to use people to expand his kingdom today. The other thought that struck me about this birth story is that God becomes one of us. Isn't that amazing? That we serve a God who stepped into this world. He didn't keep his distance. He stepped into this world through a person, and her name was Mary. And God became one of us. I want to clearly state this. This is why I'm a Christian. This is why. Just before my teenage years, I had heard enough sermons, and something dawned on me, and it was this. We live in a broken world, and there's a whole lot of suffering. But when I put the Christmas story together with the story of Easter, and those two stories came together in my soul, I believed. And here's why. If the God that created all that there is had avoided the suffering, I'm out. But if the God that created all that there is stepped into it and experienced it and walked it, I'm in. Too many religions teach that you try to avoid, to ignore, to move away from suffering. The Christian faith through Christ and Christ alone calls us into the midst of it. Jesus was God in the flesh, and he walked among us. But even when he walked among us, he did not avoid the suffering but he invested himself fully in the human life, even to the point of suffering. The last thought is a profound one. Mary becomes the first believer. She's the first one. The angel explains everything that God intends to do through her, and she announces, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel leaves. Can you imagine that moment? I have kind of a comic book view at times, a very colorful view of Scripture. Can you imagine Mary and the angel Gabriel now exits? And just before he leaves, she says to the angel, I'm God's servant. And whatever God wants to do through my life, I'm all in. And out of sheer acceptance of God's word to her through the angel Gabriel, she closes her eyes. And when she opens them, Gabriel's gone. She thinks, I should have asked a few more questions. I wish I would have asked a few more questions. Gabriel, come on back. No, no Gabriel. But the message of God has been delivered. And what I've found in faith is that a lot of people have a lot of questions. There's nothing wrong with that. But we know enough to accept him. We know enough about Jesus to say yes to him. Mary had only what we've just heard to go on. Can you imagine? That conversation could be delivered in 15 seconds. Wow. And yet Mary steps into the message that God has given her. And she accepts it, says yes, and her journey to deliver the Son of God has begun.
Wow. What a story. I can only picture the smile on Mary's face as she recounts to Luke the story that we've just read. My question is, will you believe it? Will you receive it? Will you say as Mary did, God, that's your story. I'm all in. I'm all in. Remember, God came into this world as a child and grew to be a man. And he has set this world free. And you and I sit here because of him. Because what the angel said to Mary is true. His kingdom will never, never end. Amen? Amen? Amen. At this time, we have three people that are going to be baptized in water, and we get to celebrate with them. And as they move towards water baptism, these three people have come to that place in their hearts and in their lives where they have accepted and they've chosen to believe the story of who Jesus is. We've got Olivia Cooper and Lauren and Jason Perry. And so at this time, I'm going to ask that you would stand with me and we're going to take a brief moment of worship. Following just a brief moment of worship, we're going to celebrate these baptisms together. Everyone say, hello, Olivia. The kids are coming in for the water baptism time, so we're going to give them just a moment to file in. But this is Olivia Cooper. Olivia is part of our youth group here at City and has decided that she would like to be baptized in water. I want to say at the outset of this baptismal service, if you've never been baptized in water, we're going to have another baptism just before Easter, just before Easter. But Olivia has come to the point in her time with Christ where she believes that it is 
right for her, and she sensed God calling her and leading her to be baptized in water. The one thing that I would like to say is that here at City, we don't practice, practice baptizing children. We believe in dedicating children to the Lord. But water baptism is something that people choose to do once they have determined who Jesus is and they accept him as Lord and Savior of their lives. And so at this point, Olivia, I'm going to ask if there's anything that you would like to share. Hold the mic right up against your chin. Okay. There you go. And is there anything that you would like to say before you're baptized? I'm just glad everybody's here and worshiping the Lord together. And um, yeah, I'm ready to do this. <laughs> Thank you, Olivia. All right, Olivia, if you want to give me your towel, you're going to need that in a moment. On the other side or a set of steps, go ahead and come on up, hold my hand, and then come towards the front and then step down on either side of that middle part. There you go. And you can actually sit. Is it cold enough for you? It's very cold. Good deal. So, Olivia... Have you chosen to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? I have. You have. Olivia, upon your profession of faith and your confession that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life, go ahead and pinch your nose, put the other one on your wrist. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go ahead and stand up. Come this way, and I'm going to help you back out again, all right? Good job, Olivia. Watch your step. There you go. There's your towel back. God bless you. And next, we have Lauren Perry. Lauren, come on up here. Jason, you can come up here as well. This is Lauren and Jason Perry. My understanding, our ladies are going first. All right, come on over here, Lauren. Jason, you have to hide in the shadows for a moment. So, Lauren, is there anything that you'd like to share? Yeah, I wrote it down. That's okay. okay. Hold it right up yeah. against your chin. There I get you very tongue-tied in front of people, so I wrote something down. Um, I was raised in Maine in a non-religious home. Other than the occasional Christmas or Easter service for the sake of my grandparents, faith and church were not part of my life, and I was very content with that. Whenever anyone would question me on my non-belief, I would quite proudly tell them that I believed in science and I was far too logical to believe in some intangible God. I was resoundingly and quite happily an atheist. And then I met Jason, the wonderful man right next to me who is now my husband. He will tell you his story in more detail, but at the time I met him, he was a former atheist turned Christian, experiencing a crisis of faith. He asked me to go on a journey with him, that we would both be open to finding a conclusion together, whether it was that he become an atheist again or that I found faith alongside him. It was the perfect opportunity to convince him of this Jesus silliness and turn him back to my side. On the inside, I was hanging out with the devil, and together we were saying, we've got this. And here I am. The devil did not get us. <laughs> Jesus did. And if there's one time in my life I've ever been happy about losing, it's this time. <laughs> it was a road with many bumps and turns, and my stubbornness frequently blinded me to what my heart was already believing. Jason can write a book about my stubbornness. And I found myself at a place where I could no longer deny the changes I was experiencing. The biggest change I have experienced is that my entire life I was a no-kids girl. I never wanted kids, and I was very vocal about that. And I found that on my faith journey, my, my heart was opening in parallel to having children, and Jason and I are now planning on having a baby in the next year. I am so thankful to Jason for holding my hand during this journey and this church that has now become a home. Thank you all for being so welcoming to a nervous new believer. Your warmth and open arms do truly have an impact. Good job. Right, go ahead and step in. Step on down. It's nice and warm, isn't it? Not at all. <laughs> go ahead and sit. So, Lauren, have you accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life? Yes. 
So, Lord, upon your confession and profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good job. God bless you. All right, Jason, you can hold that. <laughs> hold it right up to your chin. Oh, that's going to be pretty hard to follow. Um, so proud of you, baby. Anyways, um, I have a rather lengthy testimony that I won't keep you guys all here. I know it's getting late. But I can uh, follow my wife's example of before and after. Before, and I spent 37 years as an atheist and uh, three years as an agnostic, and then I was saved in 2010, 11. And I can tell you that my journey didn't stop in 2010 and 2011. As Lauren said, I had my, I was saved, and then I was a crisis of, I had a crisis of faith when my son uh, has autism, and that kind of rocked my world. But I've been through war, been through divorce, lost family members to drugs. I was in the SEAL teams for 16 years and I've seen a lot of things. And I've had my friends die in my arms. Um, and I had this wound that I never could identify. I called it my hole. And I poured everything I could into that hole. I poured booze, women, adrenaline, camaraderie, whatever I could find and I could never fill that hole until I found Jesus. My wound was abandonment. My wound was my mom had me when she was 16. My dad was 18. That didn't work out too well. And I was passed around in my family on who could tolerate me the longest. And then I developed this hole because there was no one there to fight for me. And there's only been a few people, as I think about it, who fought for me. And looking back now, as I have this week, one was always Jesus. Two was Lauren, and then my friends, who were Christians, never gave up on me. So thank you to all of them. Let's do this. Good job, buddy. So, Jason, have you accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? I do. So, Jason, by your confession of faith and your profession that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, buddy.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be a group of men and women who are like Mary. That as you speak to us and you draw us towards the reality of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Lord, allow us to say yes the way that Mary did. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and to be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Let's worship together. God bless you when your heart is full. You can slip out. Let's worship.
my heart to the heavens. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your name, the name that we can call on. We thank you for being there for us, God, no matter what our need is. Lord, I pray that you would be the center of our lives. That you would put, that we would put you first, Father. That you would set a flame in our hearts. We love you, God. We pour out our praise on you. You are so worthy. Just ask that you would be with us, Lord, as we go from this place. That we would speak your name to others. That we would show others who 